0: and welcome to Broad Expressions. I'm Becky Doubleday. Peoria Center for Prevention of Abuse is a pioneer agency in providing services to victims of violence. It has grown from a single rape crisis hotline that started in 1975 to a highly respected statewide leader in working to end abuse and break the cycle of generational violence. Their mission is clear and daunting, to help all people, women, men, and children live free from violence and abuse. CFPA is the only agency in Illinois sanctioned to provide its combined services combating domestic violence, sexual abuse and assault, human trafficking, adult protective services, and prevention education all under one roof. Carol Myrna is the CEO of Center for Prevention of Abuse and has been at the helm of CFPA since 2015. During that time, she has led the organization through the state of Illinois' longest budget impasse in history while increasing the agency's funding revenue and creating a new department dedicated to serving victims of human trafficking. Carol, welcome to Broad Expressions. Becky, thank you for having me. You are
1: most welcome. Tell us about Center for Prevention of Abuse. It's an amazing place. Um, I have long had respect for the Center for Prevention of Abuse since Martha Herm was the director. Um, In my previous career, I was there for almost 26 years. She was in the office of the executive director of the Center for Prevention of Abuse for that same time. Um, So we worked a lot together on policy issues and funding issues and um, I've always had respect for the mission Um, I don't have a personal history in interpersonal violence. Um, I've been very lucky that way, but I've always had a passion for problem solving and helping people. And that's what the Center for Prevention of Abuse is about, is helping people solve whatever problems they might have um, whenever they are victims of interpersonal violence and helping them find a pathway to peace. And I can't think of a better way to make a difference in somebody's life than to help them find the peace that everybody craves and everybody deserves. So we work with about 6,000 people a year, and that's not counting our prevention education department that reaches about 38,000 students every year. And um, it, it makes me very proud that we have nearly 140 staff and six locations. And I always say I work with a bunch of superheroes because I do uh, it's my job to make sure that they have whatever they need um, to take care of the people that take care of the people. Um, but there are some people with um, tremendous hearts and passion for the work that they do every day, all day, every day, helping survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault and human trafficking and elder abuse and abuse of adults living with disabilities. And uh, abuse is a dark topic, so to ha- to have the people to find the people that want to do this as their career and their life's work, um, we're very lucky to be able to do that. I don't often use the word nonprofit because we are a high-impact organization, and we do have profit. Our profit is in people. Yeah, that's a great definition.
0: You mentioned, too, Martha Herm. Mm-hmm. People might remember, too, it was women's strength Fact. back in the day and, and, and when, when, when Martha was there mm-hmm. and then has, has evolved... Um, into Center for Prevention of Abuse.
1: You said in your introduction that we're the only agency in the state that is sanctioned to provide all the services we do under one umbrella. And it's hard for people to consider that something that's unique, but it is unique. Um, You could certainly go to Chicago and find prevention education in one part of town, a domestic violence shelter in another part of town, and a rape crisis center in another. But the fact that we have... Um, we have a main campus that's just off of Sheridan Road, and you can find all of our services there. And then we have other offices um, that are satellites of the other things that we do. But um, to to be trusted by um, public sources, so state and federal government, to take on these services is very important. And Martha was largely responsible for that. Um, to start as a phone a rape crisis hotline, and then grow into such a large entity that provides essential services for um, Tri-County area, most certainly for all of our services, Peoria, Taswell and Woodford. And then we add Fulton, Marshall, and Stark for adult protective services, which is elder abuse and more, and then long-term care ombudsman. And then um, human trafficking, we cover 46 counties, which is the district uh, belonging to the Central District of the U.S. Attorney. Wow. And that's
0: what your new department has been evolving around. Correct. So a, a dedicated department for human trafficking. How is that impactful here in Illinois and central Illinois in particular?
1: It's a global issue, and people think global issues, so certainly not in central Illinois. But uh, we know that it impacts. Um, there are about 28 million people Caught up as victims of human trafficking globally. Um, we have served in our department just over 120 clients that we've been able to open up cases for them and then provide them with whether it's emergency housing or clinical services or whatever it is that they might need um, to break away from the life that they're in. But human trafficking is when someone is forced, frauded, or coerced into doing something that is against their will and profiting someone else it's essentially stealing someone's freedom for profit Um, many people refer to it as modern-day slavery we're very careful about the word slavery because we have to have respect for historical references to that word but it is taking someone's freedom and benefiting from it and uh, the classical type of human trafficking that we see is commercial sex And we've all seen it on television where someone might have um, someone controlling them, a pimp that's giving them a quota of how many people that they have to serve over a period of time. They don't get to keep any of the money that they make. But there are a lot of kinds of human trafficking. Uh, Labor trafficking happens um, in a lot of different ways. People are very surprised to find out that um, even Peoria has illicit massage facilities that where people are trafficked, the people that work there are forced to do the work that they do. Um, begging rings is the official term, but it could be panhandling. So the people that you see holding the cardboard signs at intersections of Glen and War Memorial or other places, um, people can choose to do that on their own because it's perfectly legal. But exploiting someone or forcing them into it is what's illegal. And there's a fair number of people in central Illinois that are forced into a begging ring because they've been given something that they um, needed could be a drugs alcohol might be a dignified place to lay their head at night and then they're given a quota go out and make a hundred dollars today and if they come back and maybe they've made fifty then now their trafficker keeps a log you now owe me fifty and they never get out of debt and often if they don't meet their quota they're punished they have water or food withheld. They might be physically abused. They might not be allowed to stay in the apartment or the hotel room and have to sleep outside in the elements. Um, but we have seen survivors of panhandling um, present at area hospitals because of dehydration or malnutrition, and they may have ended up with us. And that's where we've gotten their story of, oh, my gosh, I owe $3,000 to these folks. I'm I'm never going to be able to get out of debt. So um, they're put into a situation of debt bondage is what that's called. But we see um, domestic servitude most certainly. We see um, residential brothels. We see door-to-door sales. There's a wide variety of of different types of trafficking, and it's exploiting people.
0: Pure and simple, that's what it all is. Pure and simple. How can we as citizens and members of the community – how can we help identify these potential situations? And then how do you report on it?
1: One of the greatest services that the Center for Prevention of Abuse provides, aside from caring for victims or survivors of abuse, is we provide education. And human trafficking is certainly no different. We have a full-time trainer that serves law enforcement, other first responders, healthcare, most certainly, Um, hospitality so those who work in hotels um, and general public we also have a curriculum where we're in the schools um, teaching young people in an age appropriate evidence-based way about what is human trafficking and what to do about it so whenever I say we go into the community it could be a group of five from a neighborhood watch Um, we've certainly trained groups of 1,500 and more um, we did a uh, international conference that we hosted virtually from Peoria during the pandemic where we had multiple countries participate. So we're constantly working to educate people. What is human trafficking and what can I do about it? Because everybody sees it. Sometimes you see it every day. Right. Um, so, but everybody has seen seen it at some place. So we ask people to learn some red flags. We want people to always stay safe um traffickers are often watching the people that they control that they consider to be their property so we want people to not confront anyone but certainly pay attention to license plates and what somebody is wearing and where you're at and the time of day and what direction they've gone so when you do make a report you can share that information if you feel someone is in imminent danger 911 first and foremost um, we do train, law enforcement in Illinois is mandated to be trained every year on human trafficking. So we do provide that and we have trained the Peoria Police Department before. So um, you can certainly call local law enforcement and make the report. You can call the Center for Prevention of Abuse. We have a crisis hotline that's available 24 hours a day. And then we can also make that connection to local law enforcement. But we can also um, share that with the National Human Trafficking Hotline which is run by a company or a think tank called Polaris in Washington, D.C., and they actually keep the data on the numbers if I start to say one in four victims of human trafficking are children or that it is a $150 billion profit industry every year. They're the ones that are official collectors of the data, Um, so making sure that they have reports is also equally important. But we're all connected. If someone chooses to call the National Human Trafficking Hotline they call the Center for Prevention of Abuse if it's happening in our service area. Um, they will also call local law enforcement so that local law enforcement can respond to it. So it is a, uh, makes good sense um, to be able to know all of us or one of us. Um, most certainly, if somebody's in danger, nine one one, local law enforcement, Center for Prevention of Abuse crisis hotlines one 559 SAFE. And then the National Human Trafficking Hotlines is 373 7888 And um, you can also text them at 233-733. But reporting to one is very similar to reporting to all of us. Um, so just make knowing that you need to trust your gut, because sometimes you see something where somebody's being very controlling of someone else, someone looks like they're being abused, taken advantage of, Um, dressed inappropriately, confused, they don't know where they're at, they're not in control of their documents, that if you have a bad gut feeling, you need to trust your gut and just make the phone call. Um, We certainly help people sort out what they've just seen, Um, but just being able to trust someone who are experts in that field with what you feel badly about uh, is a good idea, and it certainly doesn't hurt, not wasting anybody's time. I'm going to be honest. I've seen things that aren't
0: people-related but situationally related in the Peoria area. It will give you pause. I know of a corner in Peoria, and on one corner is um, a tavern. Another corner at the same intersection is a child daycare center. And on the third corner is a massage parlor. The massage parlor, though, you can't see in. There are shades down. The only activity that you really see, just if you're driving through that intersection, is an always open mm-hmm. neon sign kind of thing. And it's just always struck me as in Congress to see this kind of situation at a very small intersection, having that together, especially in the proximity of a, of a daycare center. What about those kinds of things, too, where it isn't about a person per se, but just something that strikes you as odd?
1: 100%. Absolutely. That's worth reporting to to some entity, one of the entities that I named. Um, When we presented to Peoria City Council a couple of years ago, because we knew that there were at minimum 14 illicit massage facilities in the Peoria area based on a site on the dark web where people provide reviews of these facilities. And that didn't necessarily encompass all the ones that might be available. Um, Peoria was very proactive. They put in place an ordinance that required certain licensing and allowed people to come in and inspect, where the state of Illinois was not providing that at the time. So kudos to the city of Peoria and actually also for listening to us, um, but also taking action But those are the classic signs of an illicit massage facility. There are most certainly reputable businesses that provide massage. But the ones that you might want to be concerned about are the ones where you can't see in. The entrance might be obscure in the back. There might be a buzzer that rings you in. They're open at very strange hours, midnight. Um, The price of massage, if they actually let you in, um, is considerably less than what it might be at a reputable place. Um, They won't necessarily see women. They'll only see men. So there are a number of things that are red flags for people to go, okay, something's not right here. This is not necessarily where I want to go get, you know, my therapeutic massage. So we ask people to take that into consideration um, where they're going to give their business, but then also if it's something that maybe needs to to brought to the attention of local law enforcement. Many illicit massage facilities are connected and might be even considered um, organized crime. And the people that work in the facilities many times are from other countries. They're foreign nationals, and they're moved from facility to facility, maybe from here to La Salle, Peru, to Chicago, and they're constantly moved. So it's very difficult for police to be able to hone in on exactly what's happening there. But it's still worth it's worth making the report, and we have seen across the country where um, bad facilities are shut down. It's it's great to hear you say that um,
0: to describe that situation where you're working with Peoria police, and I, I would guess that this in the work that you do, it 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 needs the cooperation of many different entities and agencies. How how does that? How does that work here in Central Illinois? Because, as you said, too, you're about Central Illinois. It's your main location's in Peoria, but you have branches in so many other locations.
1: So good leadership is about relationships in many ways. So we know the value of um, trust um, and being good partners and good neighbors. So we have... MOUs or memorandums of understanding with over 100 different agencies, most of them locally. Um, we work very closely with other organizations, and that could be um, folks on the City Council, where we have a member of City Council that serves on our board of directors. It could be state legislators, it could be federal legislators. We have relationships with many of them and, and appreciate the work that and the attention that they pay to. Um, people who are victims of abuse and those that we serve. But uh, we have wonderful relationships with other high-impact organizations, be it Crittenden Centers, be it EPIC, be it um, the Children's Home, others that have wonderful reputations for providing top-notch, high-quality care for the people that they serve and are tried and true for the work that they do. Center for Prevention of Abuse has been in existence for nearly 50 years and um, we hang our hat on our reputation we think that it's very important to make sure that we are reliable we are accountable and that we provide some aspects of leadership in a lot of different ways so um, there are a lot of other nonprofits in the area that do that but um, they're welcome and they do call us and vice versa we may end up with a donation of formula when formula has been in shortage for a long time that is getting near expiration date. So we'll immediately call the crisis nursery. And do you need this? And they always take it. They always need it. So, um, and and people do the same with us. They've ended up with a overabundance of twin size sheets. So that's what we have in our shelters. And um, there's some beautiful relationships that really matter. There's strength in numbers, and we're all better together um, whenever we're working towards common goals.
0: I know you don't uh, charge for any of the services you provide to your to your clients. Is yes. that is that your reference uh, to the people that that yes. come in? I want to address them appropriately.
1: Um, how do you how how is your how are you funded? So uh, the work that we do with survivors is a hundred percent free and a hundred percent confidential. And um, our tagline for that is we don't put a price on healing. So if you are a victim of a crime which people who are abused are victims of crime, you should not have to pay to recover from that crime. So we rely very heavily on state and federal sources that provide us with grants that are very specialized um, for the care that we provide. So you have the Victims of Crime Act or VOCA dollars, which is federal, um, but that is the pot of funds. It's not taxpayer dollars. That's federal court fees, and if uh, someone's a drug dealer and they have a yacht and it gets confiscated and the yacht sold, then those proceeds go into this fund that is provided to agencies like the Center for Prevention and Abuse across the country, um, who care for victims of crime. Um, we have the Violence Against Women Act, which has some funding mechanisms in it that help fund um, our Safe From the Start program, which is for the youngest among us, for not just abuse and gender-based violence, but also community violence. So shooting in the neighborhood, fight at school, something that's traumatized, because childhood trauma leads to adult trauma if it's unresolved. Um, and we have so many state partners that care for us in many ways, fund our shelter, um, fund our therapy sources for, we have a dozen master's level therapists, um, and that too is free and confidential. So. We also have a very generous community, and I've heard a lot of people say that about Peoria. Peoria and central Illinois always come through. Um, we just learned that we're gonna be shorted about $600,000 um, in federal funds that would normally come. That's a significant loss for us, and we'll educate when the time's right. We need to explore all of the, the why and the how and um, make sure that we have all of our ducks in a row but we know that we're gonna be okay because um, the central Illinois community understands the value of the work that the Center for Prevention of Abuse does and understands if we're shorted in some way, um, You know, almost 90 cents of every dollar that we raise goes directly to client care. So we don't have a lot of overhead. Um, it's, a, it's a wise investment. So we know that people understand that. We've got longtime supporters and new supporters coming on all the time. But, um, you know, it's terrible when something like that happens. But government sources aren't always the most reliable sources. So local community tends to be the most reliable for us in many ways. We're so grateful.
0: Well, and, you know, I see this also, too. You talk about central Illinois and – You continuously hear this about the generosity of 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 the community in supporting. Um, I think it's also a hallmark too in Central Illinois, and maybe I'm maybe I'm going out on a home hometown limb here, but um, but agencies also seem very um, uh, responsible, and they talk about how they're using. The funding dollars it 's all very transparent it's very it's, um, uh, it 's very data driven it's I commend you for uh, for really painting that picture and and letting uh, people know um,
1: when you need help mm-hmm. and how you 're going to use that help. We measure everything that we do at the Center for Prevention of Abuse. And I'm not the numbers person. I respect the numbers and the numbers people. Um, I understand it. But we have um, a a chief operating officer, a chief financial officer, people in our grants department that are um, incredibly thoughtful about the work that we do. Um, And being able to – I'll come up with a bold, audacious goal, and I will share it. And we'll have our chief operating officer will say, well, that will take – this many full-time and this many part-time and it will cost this amount of money over this amount of time. And we put everything through the paces. Nothing is on whim. Um, We need to make sure that it's not only data-driven, but that it's something that truly meets our mission uh, and that we're going to be able to be successful with and hopefully grow that success over time. So, proof positive. Our human trafficking services department, now a team of four, um, started out with no budget because we were already basically doing the work and uh, just to be able to grow that over time when people see the value um, they have a tendency to invest um, in your organization and uh, it's very touching to me when I have people often approach me in the cereal aisle of the grocery store and will tell me um, you know I can't afford much but I, you know, I sent in a $10 check a month ago, and I really wanted to say thank you because you were able to help my granddaughter or um, all of that matters. It's not the $50,000 check that's always the shining star. It's the story and the $10 check and the $25 and the $100 and people that buy ducks at the duck for the duck race. And um, it all matters. It all adds up. And it's what makes it's the gas that makes our cargo. And um, we're very thankful. COVID, Mm -hmm. heard that
0: there was increases in domestic violence during COVID and real issues more than ever because people couldn't feel like they could reach out to get help because they were trapped basically in a quarantine kind of situation with their abuser. What was the experience? What were the lessons learned with getting into COVID? And then now, what is the
1: aftermath from that and how are
0: you dealing with that?
1: I think that one of the greatest lessons was we can do anything um, so if we are of uh, we are resolved to take care of people who need us, then we're going to do it and we did we We lived through the heart of the pandemic. I think we're going to see at least in our field the results of the pandemic for years and years to come. so um, we had our for the first time. We provided over 10,000 shelter nights. Um, the first year of the pandemic, we had more than 10,000 calls to our crisis hotline. Um, the abuse we were seeing was more volatile than we'd ever seen, because quite frankly, abuse didn't stop just because the rest of the world did. And people were sequestered to their homes where they might be quarantined with their abuser. and. People will often reach out to us during the workday because they're at work or the abuser's at work and they're able to make that phone call or they're able to get in the car and drive over to um, one of our shelter facilities. And they just weren't able to do that. They couldn't find the privacy. And we have a quick escape button on our website, but if you've got somebody in a small house staring over your shoulder, angry because they've lost their job, money's tight, The kids are doing school at the dining room table. It's a very scary situation. And um, we had a lot of hang-ups on our crisis hotline. And I get that. I understand that. Um, We had a lot of people that were eventually able to find us. But leaving an abusive situation, calling for help is important and can be very difficult. Leaving an abusive situation is incredibly difficult. It is... um, the most violent time of any relationship because the person who has the power and the control wants to keep the power and the control. And they're going to do typically anything that they can to avoid somebody leaving them. So kudos to people who are able to do that, but it is, it's it's incredibly difficult. And when people can get away and they come to our shelter, sometimes people are coming for a couple of days respite. Uh, Most people who are in abusive relationships leave That relationship seven to eight times before they finally come to terms with it. And when I say come to terms with it, that could be they were able to break away or there was something very tragic that happened in the very end. So um, we help people through the whole process. Safety planning, first thing we do when somebody reaches out to us. So we work with people who might need that service to help them plan for that. But I've heard... Yeah, you know, I'm. I'm the least of it. I'm not the person that somebody comes to us that they, um, they talk to initially. But I have talked to a, a lot of people, who had some very and still have some very um, tricky situations to be able to break away to come to us.
0: Yeah, it seems that uh, it's one of the oldest stories in the world. Sure you is. Know, it, you know, um, it's not a. Uh, it's not something that's going to be. Solved uh easily no. and and that's why I think it's wonderful too that you do the outreach into the community and the education on the prevention we're uh, in all how pub- do you break the cycle We're yeah? in all
1: of the public schools, so I think prevention is in in uh, not trying to sound um too elementary about it, but we try to stop abuse before it starts, so if you can get to the little bitties um and you can teach them what empathy is. Uh, I was observing one of our prevention educators who's now the director of our prevention education department a couple of years ago. And she was in a third grade class at Charter Oak. And one of the students said, Miss Laura, Miss Laura, are you talking about empathy? And the kid knew empathy before the director of the Center for Prevention of Abuse knew empathy. And I love that because we're in kindergarten and first grade and second grade. And we're doing this comprehensive age-appropriate education about abuse So that they can have this progressive learning. And if the school invites us, we're there for 12 weeks at a time. So every hour, every day, there's an hour where we're spending time building the relationships with these kids. So they can say, Miss Laura or, you know, Mr. Curtis or whoever. And um, they're learning about healthy relationships because maybe they don't know what one looks like or what to do if you're bullied or If you realize that you're the bully or you have a friend who's a bully um, about human trafficking, about body safety, Um, our prevention education department actually wrote a children's book because the tools that they had in the classroom were a little antiquated. So they made their own. So we've got this beautiful hardback book called Sis and Me Down by the Sea, and it's about inappropriate touch and what to do and who to trust and um, it's, it's a beautiful opportunity for us to reach these kids. But secondary to that, when a child does have childhood trauma, it needs to be resolved. Because statistics show, and science shows, that if you have unresolved childhood trauma, your physiology changes. So you could shorten your life by 20 years by not resolving something that happened to you, something that you saw Um, perhaps repeatedly when you were very small, um, and now you're an adult, so you either participate in bad behavior yourself or your physiology has changed because of these overdoses of adrenaline and cortisol, your fight-or-flight response. And when you're little and you have this adrenaline and cortisol flowing through your body, your body's still growing and your brain is still forming. So you could easily overdose on those chemicals and it changes what your future looks like. From a health perspective, you're three times more likely to have uh, ischemic heart disease. You're more likely to be, uh, quite frankly, have suicidality issues. Um, There are as proof uh, cancer and all of these other things that um, nobody wants. And nobody wants a greater chance to have. So we have the Safe from the Start program, which is therapy to help children resolve whatever trauma they might have endured. And... uh, Really proud of the work that they do there. So,
0: absolutely. Yeah. Did you grow up in Central Illinois, Carol?
1: I grew up in Oklahoma. Um, my husband works worked. He's retired now for Caterpillar. So, I joined him here uh, over thirty years ago, and uh, went, moved here on March seventh, nineteen eighty nine, and went to work um, March eighth, nineteen eighty nine, and have loved it here ever since. And this has been my home. So. It's a great place to be.
0: And served, um, you worked for the um, 18th Congressional District for over 25 years? I did. How, how did that experience inform what you're doing now?
1: It ins- has informed every aspect of my life, I think. I have been, um, I've lived a very storied life. I've had w- wonderful opportunities um, given to me and wonderful mentors beyond my parents who are wonderful examples of wonderful leaders. Um, You know, Ray LaHood and mentor in the same breath for me is natural um, because he taught me so many. He hired me in 1989 to work for Bob Michael and then to stay on with him through his time in the house. And even now, um, he called me at quarter to eight in the morning on my house phone, which hardly anybody has a house phone anymore. Yeah, how are things at the center? How's it going? Is everything going okay? Do you need anything? Just a tremendous person that um, truly cares, cared about his staff, uh, family in many ways, and then cared about his constituency like I haven't seen since.
0: Yeah, well, we're um, we're all lucky in Central Illinois that uh, you chose to make this your home, you (laughs) and your husband. Thank you. (laughs) My husband is from Canton. So, oh, so he was coming back
1: he home. He was coming back home. And, um, we have, we moved my parents here 20 years ago. So this is truly home. We still visit Oklahoma periodically, but somebody says, where's home? I, I say Central Illinois. And it makes me proud. I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of friends that I consider family. And I consider my work family very important, both the ones that I had in the congressional office, um, and now, um, The opportunity to provide any form of leadership, for me, is a gift, and I feel very fortunate to have been placed in positions by people who are very important um, that allowed me to practice that. Carol,
0: thanks so much for being here with us on Broad Expressions. My pleasure. I hope you come back sometime. I hope you'll ask me. (laughs) And to everyone, thank you for listening to this episode of Broad Expressions. This show is a co-production between me, Becky Doubleday, and WCBU. It's recorded at WCBU Studios on the campus of Bradley University in Peoria. Our theme music comes from Peoria's Emily the Band, and the show is edited by Mike Sable. You can find more episodes of Broad Expressions or subscribe to this podcast at wcbu.org slash broad.